I'm a real supersonic, pass the ball like magic. Sean Kim or Larry Bird, the old school Mavericks. I got basketball cards, gonna sing a little more. I got basketball cards, now enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Godfather Nate Milton. And right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, show me your basketball cards. In the spirit of the great names of the past, like Dikembe Mutombo, and not Michael Jordan, but Baby Jordan, Harold Miner, Drazen, Arvidas, J.R. Ryder bringing that East Bay funk. I bring to you the man who met World Be Free and Danny Ferry, your host and my brother, Zaire, also known as Bandana Z. Welcome to another episode of My Basketball Cards. I am your host, Zaire, a.k.a. Bandana Z. And I want to send a big shout-out to Paris Alexa for singing the theme song to the show and to Nate Milton for doing the introduction of me, Bandana Z. We are here uh, to talk about another great basketball player. Um, and if you, when I say the word great, you'll say, oh, well, his stats weren't that great, but he was great because he was impactful and memorable. In uh, pro wrestling, they have a, a phrase for a player like this. Um, if you have a guy that's very unique, who isn't the world champion, but still big, still uh, beloved, still well-known. He's known as an attraction um, where you don't have to have him on every show, but when you book him, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I can't believe I've seen anyone like this. Um, this player is a seven foot seven. Once, once upon a time was the only, and the first, I should say, seven foot seven player to ever play in the NBA um, his name is Manute Bowl. Uh, since then, there has been another seven foot seven player that's played in the NBA. But before Manute Bowl, um, I believe Mark Eaton and Ralph Sampson were the tallest players to ever play in the NBA. Mark Eaton was seven foot four. He made his debut in the 82 83 season where. Uh, throughout his career, he, he actually became an all-star, and throughout his career, he was just a great shot blocker. While Ralph Sampson uh, was just one of a kind, seven foot four, more talented than Mark Eaton, um, able to do more on the offensive end, but also um, a strong shot blocker. During his time, his uh, problem that it was that his body turned against him, but he definitely was probably if you talk about the tallest and the most skilled player of all time is Ralph Sampson. Uh, but Manu Bowl, seven foot seven comes in and you're just like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. And actually a little known fact, I'm a guy from Cleveland, Ohio, and my favorite college basketball team is Cleveland state who just made the NCAA tournament this year for the third time ever. Yeah, that felt good. Um, but Manu Manu Bow actually was supposed to go to Cleveland State. He was recruited by Cleveland State, um, not so much like throughout his high school career, um, but when they found out about him, uh, the head coach Kevin Mackey at the time 
in the mid 80s was like, yo, let's do all we could do to get this guy on the court for us. Uh, the crazy thing about Manute Bowl is nobody really knew how old he was. He didn't have a birth certificate. He was from uh, South Sudan. And I believe um, in the 80s, the country was war torn. So, it, you know, it wasn't much that he had to, to kind of show how old he was. So allegedly what went down is that he went, um, when he came to Cleveland, Kevin Mackey kind of made up a birthday for him. And so on his passport, it says he was born October 16th, 1962. Um, and this was like, I think 1983 maybe or something like that. Um, and, and it also said that he was five foot two for some reason. And according to Wikipedia, (laughs) which I don't know, but Manute said that the reason why his passport said he was five foot two is because he was sitting down whenever they measured him. And imagine someone trying to measure Manute Bowl. I mean, my goodness, who has a, um, who can, you have to get on a ladder to measure the man. He's seven foot seven. Okay. (laughs) So they probably was just trying to rush him through the system and just gave him a height and, of course, here's his birthday, and, and no one really knows how old he was. I mean, he could have been, you know, when people thought he was 19, he could have been 29. You know, no one knew. Um, so, Manubo gets to the NBA after a year, and no, he wasn't able to go to Cleveland State because he wasn't able to, he learned English uh, pretty to a good point, he, he spoke a lot of languages, uh, and he, he learned English at Case Western Reserve um, English and Language School, which is basically like a high school out of Case Western Reserve, The I guess, the program. I don't even know if it's a high school, but it's a place where you can learn English if you're struggling and you're from another country, and Case Western Reserve is a college at in Ohio, um, in Cleveland, actually. So he learns English there, but not good enough to qualify to play Division One basketball. Um, I wonder if he was going through this these days, how it w- would have worked, because the systems are a little more, they're a little more sophisticated um, than they were then. Um, but he doesn't go to Cleveland State, and Cleveland State actually gets uh, sanctions against it um, because of they were charged for financially assisting Manute Bowl. And that was such a up in the air judgment. Uh, Not sure how much they helped Manute and not sure if they did anything really illegal. But at the time, you know, Cleveland or not Cleveland State, but NCAA was kind of like witch hunting programs to, I, I don't know. It just seemed like they were trying to find programs to punish to look like they were doing their job, but I could be wrong. Anyway, it, it cost Cleveland State because Cleveland State made the NCAA tournament in 86. <clears throat> they made it all the way to the Sweet 16. But then uh, the next two years, they probably would have made the tournament again. They made the NIT the next two years and had really good seasons, but they were un- ineligible because of the situation with Manute Bow. little known fact. Manute Bow goes on to Bridgeport. Bridgeport um, is a Division II college, I believe, in Connecticut. 
and he competes there, University of Bridgeport, and has one season, does really well. Um, he averaged 22 points, 13.5 rebounds, and he blocked 219 shots. Uh, and that's a lot of shots. That's like dang near seven blocks per game. So I'm sure he's getting triple-doubles left and right at Bridgeport. Um, and he played 31 games there, and they qualified for the NCAA tournament. This was a program that had like, a, I think, an 1,800-seat arena. And with 1,800 seats, it's not pretty big, but they, they said before he got there, they will only fill about 500 seats. And when he was playing there, the place was sold out every night. Because once again, he's an attraction. You've never seen anything like it. And you got to check it out at least once. Well, those fans was checking it out uh, multiple times throughout the year. So Manu, after one year, goes to... Uh, the Washington Bullets. He's drafted in the 85 draft. He actually, here's a little known fact as well. He was actually drafted in the 83 draft by the Clippers, but he just wasn't ready to go to, um, to, to, he didn't, he didn't feel like he, he could understand the English from the coach well enough to, to be effective. So by 85, he's ready. And um, he wants to uh, make money to help his family in Sudan because it's just a struggle there. And he was able to get out. So he's like, well, you know, maybe I can help other people get out. And that's why he didn't continue in college. Um, he wanted to send money back home and help his sister get out of there and all of that stuff. So the 85 draft is is a very, very talented draft. Everybody talks about the 84 draft, which they should. But the 85 draft was the Patrick Ewing draft. And other great players in that draft. Carl Malone went 13. You had Chris Mullen going seventh. Joe Dumars went 18th. And Xavier McDaniels, or I said that wrong. Xavier McDaniel went fourth in that draft. Um, other great players: Wayman Tisdale, uh, Michael Adams, Detlef Shrimp. You had uh, Gerald Wilkins in that draft as well. A lot of players um, in different rounds were in that draft and were able to help their teams um, in, in multiple ways. Uh, Mario Ellie is a player that uh, we talk about with Chucky Brown, who was featured on this episode uh, talking about Manute Bow. Um, Mario Ellie was, was 160th in this draft. Um, so yeah, Manute Bow featured in the 85 class. He went in the seventh, wait, sorry. He went in the second round. Um, seventh pick of the second round, 31st overall. Um, what about Manute Bowl? Well, he really was a shot blocker, and that's pretty much it. Um, two-time shot blocking champion in the NBA, and he was, after his first season, he made the all-defensive team, and he did that as a rookie, which was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, 85-86 all-defensive team. Crazy thing is that he didn't make the all-rookie team while being on the all-defensive team. And that has to be something rare um, for any player. I don't know if that's ever happened. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened in NBA history where somebody um, makes an all-league 
type of or all defensive team and they're a rookie and they don't make the um all rookie team. And I'm trying to see if I can find the all rookie team that year. Um I guess yeah, in eighty five they didn't have an all rookie second team, which is something that comes along later. Uh, but the all rookie team, of course, you had Patrick Ewing, and ain't nobody making it past him. <laughs> but you had Carl Malone, Xavier McDaniel, Charles Oakley, and Joe Dumars. So that all rookie team in '85 was all front court players except for Joe Dumars. Um, very, uh, you know, all forwards and centers. But going back to New Bowl, first year in the NBA was probably his best year. Um, he led the league in blocked shots. He had 397 blocks his first year, and he averaged five blocks per game, which I believe is like second best all time. Um, but you have, yeah, Manute blocking five shots per game as a rookie and being a force. He played 80 games and uh, only averaged 3.7 points per game. He was never a guy that was a score. It just wasn't his thing. Um, and if, you know, you had other people around that could score, you're thinking like, hey, um, I don't need you to score. You just go out there and block shots and <laughs> play defense. Um, the Bullets at the time had Jeff Malone, who's a player we're going to talk about eventually, um, who could put the ball in the basket. They also had a center named Jeff Rulin who could score, but Jeff Rulin got hurt a lot. So that's what led Manute Bowe to become the starting center. He started 60 of the 80 games he played. Um, what led him to become the starting center uh, was that Jeff Rulin, who was a very talented uh, center that could average in 30 games that season, he averaged 19 points, 10 rebounds, and 5.3 assists. That is, there are, those are great numbers for a center. Um, but he just he got banged up. So there's Manute entering um, – entering the spotlight and he was the antithesis of <laughs> Jeff Rulin. Jeff Rulin was, uh, you know, really, really good on offense. Manute was really, really good on defense. So it kind of affected how the Bullets played that year. Interesting to see. Um, the Bullets were um, 30, 39 and 43 during Manute first season. Um, and Interesting to see how the records changed um, when Jeff Rulin was playing versus when Manute Bow was playing. So Jeff Rulin, when he played in 86, the team went 14 and 16. So they were two games under 500 when he was out there. Uh, trying to see what the case was for Manute. Um, when Manute played in 85, 86, We'll get to that real quick. When Manute played in 85-86, the Bullets were Washington Bullets, same franchise as the Wizards. The Bullets were 39 and 41. So it's pretty much the same, two games under 500 either way. But it's just a, a interesting to see like the drastic change of the players, but it didn't really affect the team that much. Um, they just, I guess somebody else decided to score more points. <laughs> But when we go to the 1990-91 season, by the time we get there, Manute Bowl is a veteran in the NBA. And he's playing with the Philadelphia 76ers. And during that time period, um, a lot of people, you know, when they think about Charles Barkley, they know that he's 
you know, outspoken uh, commentator on TNT, and they know that he was once upon a time a great NBA player, but they may forget about his time in Philadelphia because he became as big as he ever was as a player with the Phoenix Suns. That's the team that he helped take to the NBA Finals and square off against Michael Jordan. He also was a part of the uh, first ever dream team um, in the Olympics. So a lot of people associate him with those uh, teams and not as much as they do with Philadelphia. Um, But yeah, once upon a time, you know, after the Dr. J era ended, uh, Charles Barkley was the biggest star in Philadelphia when it came to basketball and, and probably in sports. I mean, you, they they also had Randall Cunningham playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, so he was a big deal at the time. And the Philadelphia Phillies um, had Mike Schmidt. So those were your three big stars in Philadelphia in the 80s uh, after Dr. J left. But Charles Barkley... Um, definitely a young, talented player at the time. He's 27, um, and Manu Bowl arrives, and Philadelphia, they're 44-38 and 38 in Manu Bowl's first year. They kind of dropped back because the year before they were 53-29. and 29. So um, they regress, but they still make it to the second round of the playoffs where they lose four games to one to the Chicago Bulls. They beat the Milwaukee Bucks three games to zero. And I would say that the 1990-91 season for Manu Bowl was probably his last really effective year. Um, you could argue that the next season was too. Uh, but the 90-91 season, he plays 82 games. And he only played 82 games twice in his career. Um, but, I mean, you know, he wasn't he, – he started having health problems <clears throat> after – the 91-92 season, where he would never play 70 games again in a season. But um, prior to that, if you talk about from 85 to 91, he actually was reasonably healthy. Um, he had never played less than 75 games. And so 90-91 was the last year he did the Ironman thing, played every game, started just six games. He never started as many games as he did as a rookie. Um, and once again, that was only by necessity because Washington's starting center was was out. So after that year, he never started as many games again. Uh, he did <clears throat> uh, block a lot of shots. Uh, his second best year of shot blocking was 88-89 when he blocked 4.3 shots. When we talk about the 90-91 season, he averaged three shot block shots a game, and that was the last year he ever did that. And... He was helpful to Philadelphia uh, in their run to the postseason and advancing to the second round. Best game of the year for Manute Bowl um, probably would be in a loss where he blocked 10 shots in a 17-point loss in February, uh, on the Valentine's Day, actually. February 14th, 1991, Manute Bowl blocks 10 shots against the Sacramento Kings, but the Philadelphia 76ers lost by 17 points. And I'm almost sure that Charles Barkley was probably injured and didn't play that game. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Charles Barkley just had a bad game. <laughs> he went four for 17 
and uh, scored just 10 points that day. Uh, Ron Anderson came off the bench scoring 20 for Philadelphia. Ron Anderson that season, I think, had a really good year. He was a capable scorer. And um, in 90-91, he averaged 14.6 points per game, which was the second highest amount of points he'd ever scored. Uh, in 88-89, he averaged 16.2 points. He was a, a capable ball player that could put the ball in a basket, good reserve, good guy to come off the bench uh, for a time period in the early late 80s, early 90s. <clears throat> but Manute, yeah, Manute made some things happen for when he when he played against the Sacramento Kings, where he uh, put up 10 blocked shots and grabbed eight rebounds. He only scored three points that day. Um, played 30 minutes, which probably was a season high. Also in that game was the uh, aforementioned Ralph Sampson, who was playing with the Kings that year. He was far from his... Um, all-star form that he had years before when he was playing for the Houston Rockets. Uh, at this time, Ralph Sampson was coming off the bench, battling a lot of injuries. But in this particular game, he actually grabbed 15 rebounds off of the bench. But he only scored four points, went one for five. Um, but yeah, 15 rebounds in 1991 from Ralph Sampson is amazing. <laughs> You're lucky to have him on the floor at all. Uh, so it was a battle of very, very tall guys. Um, so Ralph Sampson went one for, for five. I'm sure Manute probably blocked a few of those shots that Ralph tried to put up. Um, so, yeah, that's what happened. Um, trying to see if any more memorable players. You have Lionel Simmons, who was a very good young prospect at the time. He had injury issues, too, uh, as his career went on. But he scored 38 points that day and, and went – 15 of 25, so that's pretty – man, when you – Lionel Simmons outplaying Charles Barkley, that's something that he has to hold close to his heart and when he thinks about uh, the greatness of – or just thinks about his career in general because things didn't quite pan out like I'm sure he would have liked them to be with all of the injuries he had to deal with. Um, so, yeah, so Manute Bowl, best game, a 10 block a – a game with 10 blocked shots. Um, it's probably like his best game that year. He did block at least five shots in 34 games that season. So he also had a nine uh, a game where he blocked nine shots, and he actually did that in a late season win against Boston. Uh, the, the Philadelphia squad blew out the Celtics by 25. And we're going to look and see who was on the court. The Celtics actually had a really good team that year. They went 56 and 24. Um Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. This is the 1991 season, so Larry Bird's still playing, but he didn't play that day. And um, the Celtics were led in scoring by Kevin Gamble, who put up 33 points in the blowout loss. But, yeah, this is a late-season game, last game of the season, actually. <clears throat> and, eh, no, it wasn't last game. It had two more games to play. So, um, yeah, Philadelphia improved to 44-36, and 36 winning 122 to 97 and in that game uh you had Charles Barkley putting up 21 points Hersey Hawkins very good guard um all-star guard put up 26 and Manute Bow off of the bench nine blocks only two points Ron Anderson with another big performance 26 points off the bench so uh, big day for the Sixers there um 
overall, when you talk about Manupo, just uh, known really for his shot blocking and um, and just being a giant out there, very tall and lean, only weighed maybe 200 pounds max. Um, looked like he weighed less than that. <laughs> but very, very uh, lean, tall, unique-looking man um, that made your head turn if he was walking through the airport. You couldn't believe that you see somebody this tall. Um, overall, he is 18th all-time in career blocked shots, or actually 16th all-time in NBA history with 2,086 career blocked shots. Um, second all-time in NBA history with 3.3 blocks per game. So you talk about all the players that ever played in the NBA um, when they started recording the blocked shot statistics because they didn't. Like Bill Russell was said to have probably had more blocked shots than anybody in the history of basketball, but they didn't record blocked shots when he played. So, you know, that stat just didn't exist. So since they've been recording blocked shots, <clears throat> Manu Bo played in 624 games and he blocked 3.3 shots per game, which is the best uh, or second best all time. And when you look at people on this list uh, all time in NBA history, you've got Mark Eaton at number one with 3.5, Manu Bo at number two, 3.34. After him, Hakeem Olajuwon, three blocks shots per game. No other player outside of those three have has averaged three blocked shots per game in the history of the NBA. At number four, David Robinson is at 2.99, came close. Elmore Smith at 2.90, Alonzo Mourning, 2.81, Dikembe Mutombo, 2.75. I would not have guessed that Alonzo Mourning averaged more blocked shots than Dikembe Mutombo, but he did. Um, so the Kimbe is at number seven at 2.75 and at number eight, the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 2.57, Sean Bradley, a player that was seven foot six that came along, um, later 2.55 blocks per game. And at number 10, George Johnson, 2.46 points per game. Uh, just to go real quick, Patrick Ewing is 11th at 2.45 block shots per game. Um, to, for those of you who are interested, Shaquille O'Neal is all the way down at number 16 at 2.26 block shots per game. So Manute Bowl, um, you know, he made his mark in NBA history. Um, another interesting fact about Manute, uh, he played for the Golden State Warriors during the famed run TMC era that featured Mitch Richmond, the R, um, or not the R, actually run TMC. Tim Hardaway, the T, Chris Mullen, the M. No, sorry. Gonna do this right. Tim Hardaway, the T, Mitch Richmond, the M, Chris Mullen, the C. Run TMC. They were a team that ran you off the court. <laughs> um, they were usually small, but they did put a big in. So with Run TMC in 88 89, you had um, a new bowl at seven foot seven. And Ralph Sampson at seven foot four. Other than that, they usually kept you know guys over six foot ten off of the court, <laughs> and they were a, a run a running gun running gun type of team. Mitch Richmond could play power forward, guard, a uh, little bit of center. Um, you had you know Chris Mullen on the wing, and you had 
you know, guys like Rod Higgins, seven, six foot seven, pretty much like six foot nine and down, you know, and they just ran you and tried to win, win that way. And they actually qualified for the second round of the playoffs and uh, shocked Utah and got them out of the playoffs in 88, 89. Uh, at, when you got a team with, with Manute Bull and with Ralph Sampson, um, that causes – it's just a unique presence when you got these tall guys that can be interchangeable. Uh, Ralph Sampson actually played 61 games that year. Um, and, and so both of them were shot block threats and just, they gave, they had a different look out there. They really weren't needed for scoring, but they, they clogged up the paint <clears throat> and it was hard to kind of maneuver inside if you're, you know, were a guard or something like that with those presence out there. But they really, um, you know, they played, Manu played 22 minutes per game that year and Ralph played 17 minutes per game. So it wasn't like they were out there all the time, but, you know, it was just, they just provided a different look. So yeah, Manu Bowl, um, going back to him, he, he was definitely um, impactful with blocking shots. And so what we're going to do now is talk to Chucky Brown, as we're doing on all of our episodes this season. And he has memories of playing against Manute Bowl. And I mean, it's, that's a unique experience and something that if you came across Manute Bowl, that's a player that you will not forget. Other players, you're going to you're gonna see them. You might not remember. Somebody might have to jog your memory, but you're going to remember playing against Manute Bowl. So here's Chucky Brown talking about his time in the NBA and when he faced Manute Bowl. All right, so we are back here on my basketball cards. And... Um, we got some players to talk about with Chucky Brown. And so every I'm going to split these up in different episodes. And so I'm talking about the first player I can pull out. We got the FLIR, uh, a 1990 FLIR update basketball cards, right? And I'm featuring 10 players. You're one of them, right? Okay. So we ain't going to talk about you because we just talked about you. So we're going to talk about each player. And the first player I'm going to ask you about. Are you ready? Yep. Manute Bowl. Okay. What about Manute Bowl? Like, I'm, I'm sure it was crazy standing next to that guy. You're a tall guy. You're six foot seven. And he's right. like almost a whole foot taller than you. Right. Do you recall ever, like, running into Manute Bowl going, oh, my God, what am I doing? <laughs> um, not, you know, not saying that, but Manute was a funny guy. You know, he used to talk a lot of trash. People don't know that. You know, Manute used to talk a lot of trash to you out there, but Manute was a, he was a cool dude, man. He was a nice dude. Uh, you know, I, I did, you know, often think about, like, okay, if I go to the basket, I got to go in here and dunk it because it ain't no throwing it up, you know, high enough to get it over him. So uh, that was probably the, the only thing I was running through my mind was, like, okay, if I get if I, if I, if I get a chance to take the basket, I got to dunk it on him. You know, I so said, oh, I got to make an attempt to dunk it. So, but, um, but, yeah, it was cool playing against him. It was a lot of fun. Because so he, he talked a lot of trash, but it was, it was funny, though, how he used to talk trash to you. So Manute Bowles talking trash. What is Manute yeah. Bowles saying? Like, he'll say something like, if he blocks a shot, you know, he'll say, get that S out of here. You know what I'm saying? Don't come in here with that. <laughs> so Manute <laughs> Bowles will cuss you out on the basketball oh, court. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. and um, especially when he was in Philly. And he was with Rick Mahorn and Charles Barkley. You know, that that's what he was. He was at his best trash talking then. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> just 
how? I mean, what do you do? Like when you, you said you dunk on them, you try to dunk on them. I, did you? Did you ever get a chance to? No, I never got a chance. You know, I did. I did get a chance to. I dunked it before he had a chance to jump. Okay. I do remember going to. I dunked it before he got. It was like a quick dunk. You had a quick dunk because if you go up and want to cock it back and all that, it ain't happening because he's seven seven. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's not gonna happen. So yeah, I did. I did get a quick dunk before he was able to even get his arms up. Okay. Did Did he remember you? Like, did he say, "Okay, I got you, dude"? <laughs> he, he laughed. He looked at me and laughed. Yeah. Because I didn't say anything to him, but he looked at me and laughed and told me I got lucky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you remember, like, didn't he have, like, a game later on where he was, like, making threes and all of that? But I, I'm sure that wasn't against you, but. Um, yeah, I, I remember games when he made three-point shots because he, he had, like, a funny-looking shot. Uh-huh. You know, but I remember games where he shot the ball and made made three. He might have made some threes in games that I played against him, but I remember games where he made several threes. I do remember that. Okay. And so finally, your thoughts about Manu Bowman. He's no longer with us, um, but just your thoughts about him as a player. A lot of people, you know, if you don't score a lot of points, they look at you like you're not that good. But um, right. he actually – you know, made an impact as a shot blocker, especially. Um, you had him, the late Mark Eaton was another one as well. Big, tall guys that can just swatch his stuff. And that's pretty much what they did. Um, your, right. your 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 thoughts on him uh, just as a player and what he was able to contribute to the league? Oh, Mark Eaton? No, Manu Bo. <laughs> oh, Manu Bo. Oh, my thoughts on him. Oh, Manu Bo was a great guy. Um, I thought he was very competitive. Like I said, he talked a lot of trash, but it was funny. It wasn't nothing degrading to where you wanted to see him later um, about it. But, you know, he was just a fun guy. You know what I mean? He was a fun guy. I think he definitely, um, when you when you came out to play against him, you know, you better, you know, you bring it to the basket, you better be coming with some force uh, or, or it wasn't going to end well for you. So I think he, you know, I think he also contributed to the game just being, just being a shot blocker. He made you just aware when you went to the basket. You know what I'm saying? So I think he helped your game in that way. Got it. And that was Chucky Brown once again appearing on our show. Thanks to him for his time and efforts. Um, just a very unique experience trying to figure out how to score against a seven foot seven guy. Um, he said he got a dunk on on Manute, and you know, I'm, like, a lot of people probably try to dunk on him because you had to try because unless you were, you, you weren't going to really get any layups past him. So if you were bold enough to go inside, you had to try and um, cram it down on him. And so when you're a shot blocker, the crazy thing is that you, you're going to get dunked on. But a lot of times, you know, your job is to make it hard for people to score by the basket and you got to be tough and have thick skin. Um, while we talked about Manute Bowl being an offensive star, I mean, a defensive star, um, he had his moments um, one of his most famous games, or probably his most famous game ever, um, he actually drained some threes in a game. And this was, I want to say, when he was playing in Philadelphia. Um, and this is a 92-93 season. He had a game against the Washington Bullets when he dropped four out of six threes. This is um, January 8th, 1993, and he scored eight points that day. But his biggest game offensively, most well-known famous game, was a game against the Philadelphia 
I mean, against the Phoenix Suns and his ex-teammate Charles Barkley was on the court as well. This is March 3rd, 1993. Manu cans six three-pointers. He comes off the bench, plays 24 minutes, shoots 12 threes, makes six of them, scores 18 points, blocks three shots. <laughs> uh, Charles Barkley is there. Uh, Charles Barkley scored 36 points. The Suns win 125 to 115. Uh, Philly isn't as good as they were with Charles Barkley. They dropped down to 19 and 35, but it was just a memorable game. Um, I remember seeing Charles Barkley excited for Manute, and Charles was playing for Phoenix, which, you know, back then is like, it's kind of like a no no if you're cheering for the other guys on the other team. But Every now and then, somebody does something so unique, you just got to go, that's amazing. And Charles Barkley was so happy for Manute and was kind of rooting him on as he was knocking down the threes, even though he was knocking down the threes against him. Um, And, you know, Phoenix probably knew they were going to win anyway, but it was just so cool to watch Manute Bowl knock down the threes with his unorthodox shot and Charles Barkley just get like a little kid um, just excited for his ex-teammate and, you know, to just be in, in, in the place, seeing something that was not normal. Manute Bowl scoring in double figures for one and Manute Bowl just canning threes left and right. Um, overall for his career, I'm trying to see how many threes he made. So he made six threes that day. Um, but overall in his career, if I can get to, and Basketball Reference has so many dang stats. <laughs> when you want to find the simple stat, it is just hard to find sometimes. But So he made six threes that day. Overall in his career, he made 46, 43 threes out of 205 attempts. So he made a big chunk of his threes <laughs> in that game. <clears throat> that season, he only made 10 threes. Um and four was in one game and ten and six was in another. So he made all his threes in two games. Um, his most threes he made in a season was in 88-89 when he made 20. He took 91 attempts and he made 20 threes uh, while playing with Run TMC. Trying to see what his um, top three-point game was. He, he only made... Two, he made two threes in four games, so he didn't have like a game where he made like three, four, five threes. Um, <clears throat> but Manute Bowl, um, just a, a one of a kind type of, of, of basketball player. There were other tall players that came along, especially later. Um, gonna name some of them, and then we're gonna wrap the show up. So. Jorge Mirasan actually was the tallest player ever in NBA history. Jorge was from France. Uh, well, actually, no, he wasn't from France. He was from Romania. Um, but he too was seven foot seven. But he was, I think, just a little taller. Um, now, you know what? Let me tell you about this. I always thought that I saw Manute Bow being listed at seven foot six before I started this show. 
And I'm thinking like some kind of Mandela effect is going on because I, I always saw him listed at seven foot six. Well, he was often lift, listed at seven foot six. However, these days, for some reason, they have him listed at seven foot seven. So um, various times it says on this Wikipedia site, Manukbo was listed at seven foot six, which is 2.29 meters. Um, but then they have him listed as well at seven foot seven at times at 2.31 meters. Well, Jorge Mirasan was never listed at seven foot six. So he is known as the tallest <laughs> player in NBA history. And he was a big tall, like Manute was very lean. Jorge Mirasan was 315, seven foot seven, very uh, talented ball player. Once again, his body turned against him too. A lot of injuries, but he had seasons where he averaged double digits as well. Played alongside Chris Webber. Chris Webber loves to talk about Jorge Mursan. Um There was um, Sean Bradley, who played at seven foot six. Another player by the name of Slavko uh, Rene. I don't ever remember seeing him play, but Slavko Rene played in. Uh, he played one game. For Portland, and that's it. <laughs> In just one game, um, he was seven foot six, three hundred two pounds. Sean Bradley, seven foot six, two hundred seventy five pounds. Had a nice long NBA career, played eight hundred thirty two games. <clears throat> um, could score, uh, but once again, was more so known for his shot blocking and rebounding as well. Um, and you had Yao Ming, seven foot six. Um, now a Hall of Famer, Basketball Hall of Famer, um, but he had a short career, injuries as well. Chuck Nevitt was seven foot five, and he played in the early '80s and um, played all the way to the mid '90s. He was a, a player um, that sometimes is forgotten about. You had a uh, seven foot five Pavel Podkolzin, another player that I don't recall. He played 2004 to 2006 with the Mavericks. I don't remember him. Sim Bulhar. Played in 2015 with the Sacramento Kings, also seven foot five. Taco Fall, who is currently playing in the NBA with the Boston Celtics, he's seven foot five as well. <clears throat> These last three players that I mentioned, all international players. Um, Potkulzin was from Russia, Bulhar was from Canada. And uh, Fall is from Senegal. And all of these guys are 300 pounds plus. And then we talked about Mark Eaton already, who was seven foot four, NBA All Star. Another NBA All Star, uh, Rick Smith from the Netherlands, the Duncan Dutchman, seven foot four, very talented ball player, uh, one of the best Indiana Pacers players ever. And then Ralph Sampson, seven foot four, just um, probably if you talk about the most talented giant over you know seven foot four or taller. It's Ralph Sampson. He just, once again, his body turned against him. Uh, but he did help the um, Rockets make it to the finals alongside Hakeem Olajuwon. Him and Hakeem Olajuwon together were just too much to deal with. Um, he was the number one pick in 83 draft and um, the college player of the year. Trying to go through all the seven foot four players. Boban Marjanovic, who is uh, currently in the NBA, uh, I believe he's playing for the Mavericks, seven foot four. Boban. Um, and you also have Priest Lauderdale. That's the final seven foot four player and taller that we'll talk about. Priest Lauderdale actually 
seven foot four, three hundred twenty-five pounds, and he only played seventy-four games. I think he played college at Central State, which is an HBCU in Ohio, historically black college or university. Um, he had a quick NBA career, not long at all. I used to play with him in the video games because he was just so big. He was three twenty-five, um, seven foot four. It was just fun to play with him because he was just huge and there wasn't anybody on the video game that big at the time. This is like 2001, maybe. Uh, NBA Live was still being produced. So Priest Lauderdale played from 96-97 season and a 97-98 season. <clears throat> Didn't uh, play too much after that. I think another thing I've seen is that Manute Bo played his final professional season in... Italy during the 95-96 season. Um, so that's something that's really talked about. So maybe one day we can do a Manute Bowl in Italy um, episode. <laughs> but I don't know um, if I could find a basketball card. But hey, we talked about Danny Ferry in Italy. And there were so many other players um, that went on to Italy that played after their career was over. So maybe we could talk about Manute Bowl in Italy someday. Got to make a mental note to so I don't, I don't forget that. All right. So this is this episode about Manute and um, just a fun player to remember and talk about. And just one of a kind, once again, um, there have been other tall guys, but Manute Bowl just stands out. His, his look, um, you know, people enjoyed playing with him. You know, Chucky said he was funny to play against even, uh, but just a very special player. Um, while no, he doesn't have Hall of Fame stats, but if you were around in the 80s and 90s, you will never forget Manute Bowl. Thank you so much for tuning in to My Basketball Cards, and we hope to hear, or not hear from you, we hope that you tune in again for another episode as we go through the 1990 Fleer Update Collection.